0: This is the BBC.
1: This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK.
2: Across Northern Ireland, on your radio and on BBC Sounds, this
3: is...
4: On the programme today, rates increase of 4%. This interesting, interesting speech that Jeffrey Donaldson gave and also his interview with Talkback yesterday. Did I say Talkback? Talkback! With William Crawley yesterday. In which Donaldson was talking about, you know, the battle for the union and how that kind of middle ground, goes. Alliance voters, those Green Party voters, for profit, of how they might be instrumental for the Battle of the Union. Battle of the Union also means a battle for United Ireland. If Sinn Féin are looking at that middle ground as well, really interesting stuff coming up on the programme today. Hope you enjoy. The
5: Stephen Nolan Show!
4: Good morning, good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us. The 1st of March. There's something about the 1st of a month, isn't there? Are we heading into close to the good weather where I'll be able to get my wee shorts and all on? Anyway, thank you for joining us today. It's the biggest show in the country. It's the Nolan Show from the BBC. You can listen to us here at 9 o'clock in the morning or indeed you can listen to us at whatever time you want to on BBC Sounds. So, Sir Geoffrey Donaldson very much saying that the battle for the future of the Union is about his party being able to win over the centre ground. And what does that mean? Well, that's the Alliance Party and the Green Party. So for those Alliance voters, how many of them could Sir Geoffrey Donaldson and the DUP convince that his party, or indeed the Union, is the way to go? And how is Sinn Féin going to react to this? How is the the STLP going to react to this? The bigger question this morning is how's Naomi Long going to react to this? This is very much Donaldson planting his tanks on her lawn, saying that he needs to convince people that the Union and the DUP is the way to go. He spelt it out in, in, in this interview with uh, William Crawley uh, yesterday on Talkback. The future of safeguarding the Union, he says, is dependent on the DUP winning over the middle ground. Let's have a listen.
6: Unionism now represents uh, political unionism, represents just over 40% of the vote. Um, political nationalism about 38% of the vote. And um The the group in the middle that we call the Others, but mainly represented by the Alliance and the Greens, represents about 20% of the vote. And the reality for unionism is that it's that middle ground where the battle for the future of the union will take place. And unless we are engaged with people, particularly young people, and uh, again, uh, the demographics are interesting when you look at support amongst young people for um, staying in the union it's not as strong as it is with um, the older age groups so um, unionism has a job to do and I think um, uh, I want it to really set a reality check for unionism to say look we can spend our days squabbling and fighting among ourselves um uh, or we can spend our time and our energy seeking to persuade people encourage people that the union is best for all that a northern ireland at peace with itself, that is prosperous within the United Kingdom, is the future we all uh, need.
4: Now, you can understand why people are talking about the Jeffrey Donaldson, Doug Beattie story today, and and it is a a legitimate story, and and it's one worthy of us talking about together. However, sitting right alongside that story is this declaration, if you like, uh, from Donaldson, One that we've known before, but look at what he's choosing to say. Look at when he's choosing to say it. He's moving this territory into the battle for the union being about getting that centre middle ground. Now, how are they going to get it? How's Alliance going to uh, defend themselves from the DUP? And then how will the SDLP and indeed the biggest nationalist party uh, in Northern Ireland, uh, Sinn Féin? How will they fight back as the DUP are trying to get that middle ground? That's really interesting politics uh, th- this morning. Now, that middle ground, really attractive also to Sinn Féin. So as I've just said, how's Sinn Féin going to fight for them? This is why this is interesting. Kate Nichols from the Alliance Party. Morning, Kate.
7: Good morning, Stephen.
4: Well, I don't know where your tanks are, but Jefferies are certainly on your lawn.
7: Yeah, well, I mean I think it's I think it's something to be um positive about. I think if the DUP are, are planning to move towards being a more progressive, forward thinking, inclusive uh, shared party, then um I think that's welcome news.
4: How are you gonna fight back?
7: I, I think it's really interesting that you're framing it in that way. I mean we I, Well I do you want to lose do you
4: want to lose votes to the DUP? Or indeed Sinn Fein, if they if they recognise how significant that, that, that middle ground is. Of course they well, recognise
7: it. We don't earn any of these votes. You know, we, we work to earn them, and we're going to keep doing what we do to keep earning those votes. Um, I think it's really on the DUP how they're going to how they're going to try and, and capture those. Um, but it's important to state that we get involved in politics because we want to change things. You know, we want to make. The society better. We want to move it forward. Um, And I think it's better for everyone if all parties are talking in that um, vein. I think the DUP are going to have a hard sell, um, to be honest. Uh, We're very different political parties. We have very different visions and policies on things. Um, But I think also that, you know, people in Northern Ireland so often feel like we're stuck in the past, that our politics is dinosaur politics and divisive, and we don't focus on thematic issues. Um, So if this is going to result in a change of policies, then that's great. Let's start talking about policies more. Alliance has the most detailed manifesto of any political party. Um, And we'd love to spend more of our time talking about how we actually fix things as opposed to, you know, uh, demonizing other groups to to win votes, um, that kind of. For me to keep them out mentality, we have to really move away from that. It, it, it,
4: it, it also focuses one of the questions on your party about look if you have the, the 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 leader of the DUP saying the battle for the future of the union is about that middle ground that where where your party has the has those votes. Then where is your party, and I know you're not going to answer it, but it focuses the fact that you haven't answered the question about whether your party is persuaded about, at the moment, is the UK better than the United Ireland? It focuses that question.
7: Alliance isn't kind of one homogenous block. Our voters aren't just one thing. And I think some people really struggle to, to understand that actually within our party, there are people who have all sorts of different views and constitutional preferences. There are people who are secure in their identities, and that isn't what dominates our politics. Of course, your identity, your your long-term constitutional kind of preference will matter to people, but Alliance is, is governed by every single day, making our services work, working together, um, and creating a shared, inclusive future. Because ultimately, you know, whatever, whatever, <laughs> wherever the border is drawn um, on these islands, it says one or not, we're always going to have to share this place. So our politics needs to work for everyone. So Alliance is always going Going to be re- relevant no matter where we are, and people have a range of views, and it's to be respected. You know, we're a shared, we're a shared society. Like, we need to embrace that, well, and make if, it easier for people to to talk about their views.
4: So, you Kit, know? my follow up question to that then is: Does your party even know if you're saying your party has you know is, is a broad church? Does your party know if the vast majority of your party would prefer a United Ireland or a UK?
7: It's it's not something that we've had a, a party discussion on. You know, um, of course, people have different views. What we discuss in in our party meetings is is how we make society work now, how we make our services work, how we reform the institutions, how we get affordable childcare, reduce health waiting lists, make our schools function in good places, make this society somewhere where all children have. Uh, the ability to fulfil their their potential and be proud to live here. So, yes, of course, people will have different views. It's not something that we discuss as a party because our priority right now is to get this place
4: working. Okay. so in terms of this place working, let's test that with a few real issues that are front and centre um, at the moment. Nolan Live, Wednesday night, we had the Health Minister, Robin Swan, on the programme. He was talking about what... 130 odd million quid could do for for waiting lists would your party give it to him?
7: Listen, Stephen, I'm not going to get into the discussions around specific funding and budget because talks are going on at the moment with the Treasury, the Executive are discussing these things. I don't feel... Um, I'm not part of those conversations in the Executive and I don't feel briefed okay. enough. Of course we will we will do what we can to ensure that people already suffering with the cost of living are not punished any further. Look, fair, um, but I, I'm, I'm not in a position to answer fair, fair enough. And that's, money we're going to give away.
4: Fair enough, and that's an honest answer, but I would point out to you that what, what you're positioning your party as this morning, as a party where policy matters, all I'm doing is asking you about different policies. I accept what, what what you've said about finance. For example, the shortfall in funding for Casement Park. Would your party fund that? Would your part Does your party think the executive should fund it or not?
7: Well, we think the Casement Park should be built. Of course, it's, it's something that was agreed. And where agreed. should the money come from? This is going to be a discussion that's happening with the Executive, the Treasury, um, the Finance Minister, it's it's ongoing. I cannot say where funding is going to come from but I will say that it is very challenging right now. Ministers are in difficult positions and we need to work together to, to ensure that we can get a package that is um, and and that we can we can deliver for people on things that they're expecting. But it's it's tough. Of course it is. And two years of not having an Assembly has made it even tougher. Ch- it's why we keep pushing for yeah. reform of the institutions. We've had no
8: stability. You yeah,
7: know? I'm
4: not, I'm not, I'm not going to torture you this morning, Kate, but you did say about policy and that's all I'm doing. I'll do it with any other uh, political party that it's here, childcare. So childcare, free in England? Should there be free childcare here?
7: Childcare isn't free in England. In England, they only have... Well, sorry, it's um, a
4: lot better. Sorry, the support for childcare is a lot better in England.
7: They have, yes, they have some sort of support in England, which is deeply flawed. There absolutely needs to be affordable, flexible childcare in Northern Ireland. That needs to be invested in. We're waiting okay. for costings on that. I can speak with some authority because I'm on the education committee, so we've, we have been looking at that. But all of these conversations are happening and Policy policy isn't just you know where the money is coming from. It's it's how you move forward. It's models for things. It's- it's looking at things with an evidence base um, and making the best decisions you can. So, Alliance has very comprehensive policy documents on a number of things. Stephen Barry always excels at the manifesto discussions on your show because we look at things for, on, on the merit of what is going to work for people, not on whether it's orange or green or going to appeal to certain blocks. We believe in evidence based policy, and that is how we're going to be approaching every issue within the executive.
4: And finally, Kate, the uh, decision by the executive to put the regional rate up. By four percent. For some people, they will say, "We don't, we don't have any more money." Uh, Other people will say, "The British government uh, was clearly trying to push for a fifteen percent increase, and where are we going to find the shortfall?" Now, the executive didn't put it up by that.
7: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sitting in my constituency right now, and. Uh, constituency office right now and people are struggling with the cost of living and no one wants to punish people who are already suffering anymore. Um, I did mention that talks are ongoing with the Treasury regarding the financial package and the fiscal framework Um, and I suppose I'd just say that our long term sustainability isn't going to be resolved by a revenue raising alone. Increasing increase in rates is at the level which reflects the need um, to fund public services Um, but yeah I mean uh, people are struggling and we need to do what we can to support them you can't deny that.
4: Kate, thanks very much for coming on. Thanks a lot. John Campbell, our business and economics editor, with us today. So talk us through what's happening with our rates, Sean. Good morning.
9: Well, they're going up as expected, um, but the the regional rate is is going up nowhere near as much as the UK government would have liked. So it's only going up by 4%, um, which is just at the the current rate of inflation. And um, what the finance minister said yesterday is you look at a, a domestic property, with an average capital value or rateable value of £123,000, and they will um, pay 46p a week more on the regional rate element of their bill. Um, But for a a business with a rateable value of about £50,000, it will mean um, an extra uh, about £11 a week on that particular part of your bill. Now, of course, um, your rates bill is made up of two parts. There's the part that Stormont sets, and then there's the part that your local council sets. And the the local councils um, have all put up... um, their rates um, by uh, more than inflation. I think um, there may be one which was just about at inflation. Um, so, for example, if you look at Mid and East Antrim, which had the biggest increase of nearly 10%, that would mean that um, for a, an, a typical domestic property there, it will be an increased rates bill of about um, 140 a week. So if you add it together, the the regional and the district rates in Mid and East Antrim, the, the typical um, rate payer there would be paying... Um, just under two pounds a week more, so getting on for about a hundred pounds um a year more now. In the context of everything we've been through in the cost of living crisis, those are not enormous sums. Um, but I I suppose for some people they will be you know very unwelcome. Um. <laughs>
4: Go ahead. Oh, I was I was just going to ask John. So the two different parts that make up our rates bill. Yeah. So if, yeah. if, if some of those councils and I'm I'm trying to remember the figures, some of them were five percent, six percent, seven percent, and then we have this yeah. this four percent increase for the other part of the rates bill. So are in in the round, are most people going to have a, an increase in how much they have to pay for their rates of around ten, eleven percent? Is that where we're sitting?
9: Yeah, probably something like that. It, it depends on the capital value of your house, um, but but you know they're, they're, they are going up. Maybe not as much as had been feared, and I think the reason that the the district rate, the bit set by your council, goes up more is that they are much more reliant on the rates to to fund their services. Whereas at Stormont, the rates only represents a, a very small slice of of the money in which they have to spend. Most of it comes through the block grant. So, you know, for example, and there were, you know, some exceptional circumstances like in, in Midden Exantrum, they said, for example, that the fact that the um, the coal power station at Kilroot had closed down meant that that didn't pay rates anymore. So they were instantly losing um, more than a million pounds a year from that major rate payer. And we, we should also just, you know, bear in mind that the, the councils um, have had um, pay settlements with um, their, their workers, which which has had an impact on the rates both last year and this year. Um, so you know there's a much closer connection between what councils have to spend on on wages and services um, at the district level than there there is at, at the at the Stormont regional level.
4: Finally, John, is is there anything bubbling over whether the executive will or will not lift the
9: rates cap? That's kind of on the long finger. Um, so the Finance Minister, Keith Archibald, said that that particular consultation, which was launched by the, the Secretary of State, um, that, that she's not going to ignore that because there was about 1,400 responses. So, you know, she says, in fairness to the people who responded, she should at least look at what they've had to say. So her officials are working through all those responses now. They'll, they'll produce something for her to, to look at. Um, but if there was to be an increase in, in the rates cap, then you would have to have a firm proposal, which would have to go out for another consultation and you would also have to have agreement at the executive. So it, it hasn't been ruled out, um, this move, which would see people in the most valuable houses paying more, but it would be in, I'd say, probably you know, months, if not a full year, before you would actually get to, to a solid position on that. And, and,
4: and, and am I right in thinking that if they kept the rates cap in place but mm-hmm. simply did a more up-to-date valuation on properties, that that might bring in more revenue as well? because property's gone up.
9: Yeah, yeah. Um I'm I'm not sure that it would um because it's it's all kind of relative so there would be uh, so when when the revaluation takes place in um for for non-domestic or so for business premises which happens regularly and will be happening again quite soon that tends to be revenue neutral. It just moves around who pays what depending on on how valuable various properties have been. So a revaluation in itself doesn't raise more money. It just um changes the kind of the burden of who pays what so so that 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 in itself I don't think would would be a, necessarily a game changer.
4: Okay. John Campbell, thank you very much. 03030 30, 80 55 55 is the number to call. 22 minutes now, uh, past nine o'clock. Let's come back to this, uh, political story at the top of our show, show this morning. 03030 30, 80 55 55. We'll get you on there, um, very shortly. Jerry Carroll about this 4% increase in rates. It's certainly not as bad as it could have been, Jerry. So is that good news or is it bad news that it went up? or is it realistic news?
10: Um, well, I think it's certainly bad news for people who are struggling, Stephen. I mean, obviously it's 4% this year, but last year you'll know Secretary of State imposed 6%, uh, so that's 10% um, over that sort of time period of rates going up. We also have a situation where people's food has still gone up, uh, gas is still gone up, electric... electric oil, everything has gone up and rents are up by at least 10%. Uh, some people is up even higher. So it's 4% on top of all those things is cumulative and it obviously comes in a context where people are struggling, where wages um, aren't really raising rapidly enough. You know, there's obviously the 5% figure put out there by, um, Storm with ministers. So four percent, really, on top of six percent, on top of other things, will are, will increase the hardship that people are facing this uh, this same year.
4: And yet, what the executive now faces, because it didn't go, and I'm not suggesting it should have done, but the British government, uh, John Campbell was saying, you know, they were pushing for fifteen percent. The executive have refused to do that, but that's then um, that, that's then cost them, if you like, by not doing that, that's cost them eighty odd million quid. Um, of revenue that they otherwise would have had. So, where do we get that from? What do we do? What services do we cut? What services do we not invest in with that shortfall of money?
10: Yes. Well, I think it's a bit uh, hypocritical of the British state and the British government, Stephen. Like I said, say this in your show before, that uh, it's some 2.4 trillion in debt uh, to say that people here, the parties here even, that you must cut, cut, cut. You know, the, the effects of long-term Tory austerity implemented by Stormont, but initiated by uh, the Tory government, has been catastrophic. You know, you're here in your show every single day, EA, uh, education problems, health problems. And that's all down to the fact that uh, the British government, uh, in part storming back on them, implementing really harsh austerity. So what we need to look at is wealth. You know, I've said this before in their show, wealth in this society doesn't really exist in my community, doesn't really exist at all in Working class districts right across the north, but we have wealth in this society. We need to tax that. I mean, look at that. £32 billion uh, pounds in revenue was raised last year by the top 100 companies here. Amazon, I mean, why is Amazon not uh, taxed heavily on the profits? They pay rates, but it's connected to the building. It's not connected to the profits that they make. Industrial B rating, um, £71.5 million uh, handout to in uh, the most part, big companies, but maybe smaller companies avail of that um, as well. So the wealth exists in the society, and I can need to be kind to tackle it, tax it to make sure that people aren't struggling as they currently are.
4: Jerry, thanks very much. Brian's in Dungannon, first call of the day. Morning, Brian.
10: Hi, uh,
11: Stephen. I was listening to the show at the very start there, and you had the interview. and I don't understand why you keep pushing to find out if Alliance is more green than orange. Now, this has been down the road, to the road before, locking the find out. See, we always know the no Lions doesn't care between her or lines.
4: Well, so here's here's why the question is relevant, Brian. Right? <laughs> okay. That, 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 that if so, Jeffrey Johnson quoted those stats, which we've known before, but he quoted those stats with Crawley on on Talkback yesterday, right? And uh-huh. so forty percent. Unionists, thirty-eight percent nationalists. So that's why that other twenty odd percent. All right, Donaldson defines as the battle for the union. Well, if that middle ground is battle for the a battle for the union, then that middle ground is also a battle for a united Ireland. That middle ground is held little by the Greens, but predominantly by the Alliance Party. So where the Alliance Party. Would tend to go whether it's a United Ireland or a United Kingdom. If there is a battle going on for those people who vote for Alliance Party, how on what planet is where the Alliance Party would sit within a United Ireland or a United Kingdom? How's that not a big question?
11: You know where they sit at? They sit in the middle of the fence.
4: But you can't sit. You ultimately can't sit in the middle of the fence.
11: Well, obviously that's where they're. If there was a
4: border poll. They can't sit in the middle of the fence.
12: <laughs>
4: That's why the question's relevant. Do you get me?
11: I do get you, yeah. But it, obviously, I, I would get that there's more important things to be worrying about than DUP and champion.
4: Yeah. What, what you're saying then, I'm, I'm not being patronised to put words in your mouth, but <laughs> what you're saying is there are, more, there are more important things to you than a border poll that hasn't happened yet. You're talking about... The bread and butter issues the policies getting money yeah. in the people's pockets yeah. I hear, you. I hear
11: and, you and you're taking they're, they're taking it back out of their pockets again by putting up rates and probably going on to water and whatever else and I understand that they have to get raise the money but you know where is the people where's the work on people getting the money from
4: well and there's where they're you know we've been having those discussions on this program you, you, yeah, I,
11: do, I listen to you every day.
4: Do you do you push the demand for the money that look they need more money?
11: Yeah, do, I, uh, yeah do, you, Of course, they need more money, but they, where does do, work working? People get it from.
4: Well, and there's the that's the territory that those are policy decisions by the executive. Do they hit the richest hardest? they they, 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 they could they could <laughs> lift the rates cap, which means that people in big houses, you know, they're not being protected by that four hundred grand cap at the moment. Do they make people who are on particular salaries pay for the likes of prescription charges?
13: But the rich,
11: the rich never get hit. As much as the, as, as, much as the working person. I'm not saying they don't work. I'm just saying that they don't get hit as much. So they don't.
4: Here, thanks for your call today. appreciate you say a list every day. Appreciate that. James and Talbot Patrick. Morning, James.
14: Morning, Stephen. I'm an Alliance voter. I'm proud of it. And I would never even consider... Uh, a United Ireland vote, or a or staying in the UK vote until we fully understand what it means socially, politically, economically, and all of the other things that affect. If you say yes, no vote, what are you voting for? Look what Brexit has done to the country. It has divided it even more. Give us the answers as to what it means, and we can make an educated vote. And that's where Alliance position is. We're not rushed into thinking of these things. Tell us what it means, and let's make a a valued discussion and a valued decision based on those facts.
4: Look, I said at the top of the show today, James. The the the, the, the dance now uh, w- between Sir Geoffrey Donaldson and Doug Beattie. It's interesting, and we're covering it here on BBC Northern Ireland. Of course, we are. It's a it's it's a it's a good story. But 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 this declaration, if you like, once again, Sir Geoffrey Donaldson. Right, that middle ground, that's the battle for the union. You know, that's the battle for a united Ireland as well then, given how close those numbers are. What's that battle going to look like? Is uh, is it going to be a battle based on policy or personality or what is it?
14: And that's why, as an Alliance voter, I won't make that decision until I understand the facts. And, and, And pushing Alliance politicians to give you an answer to a question they can't answer because we don't know what those decisions will be is absolutely stupid and and all you're doing is trying to agitate uh, people to say oh we're this or we're that. No No, we're neither we just want to stand in the middle and say tell us what it means. Well let,
4: let me put it a different way to you whether it agitates people or not I think we'll continue to ask relevant questions, and it's good that you're on air uh, to push back this morning. James, what is important to you then? So there is no border poll at the moment. You're an Alliance voter. So what policies are important to you?
14: I think the, the key thing is about the equality of everybody in this society, that we all have the equal opportunities and rights, and that everybody is treated fairly and thing. And we do away with this orange and green battle that has poisoned our society for years it is time to move forward we keep saying we're a post-conflict society post-conflict for 20 odd years we've had the Good Friday Agreement come on, it's time we really started to, to look at things but and that say a... it's time to end this orange and green, it's time to end segregation, it's time to look at all of the things so that, that we can do as one society and make society better
4: So that equality that you talk about that is so important to you mm-hmm. Yeah, are you more likely at the moment to get that within a United Kingdom or a United Ireland?
14: See, Stephen, you see, you, you, you again turn that equality into a green and orange scenario. No, 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 I'm not. Let me answer the question, okay. and, then you, and then you can do it. Okay. I would rather say, tell me what equality means in a United Ireland context, or a United England context, or a United uh, Kingdom context, yeah. and then I'll make that decision. But that's what
4: I was asking you. So what I'm asking you is, at the moment, as you look at your politics at the moment, yeah. it's, it's actually a question feeding into what you're saying, James. Yeah. At the moment, as someone for whom equality is so important, yeah. is it your instinct that you would get that equality better within a United Kingdom, or a united Ireland, or do you not know?
14: Uh, Well, uh, right now, uh, I would probably have a personal view of where I would go, but equality is one element of the discussion. There's a whole thing about what does it mean economically for me, what does it mean socially for me, what does it mean politically, what would the institution or what would Northern Ireland politics look like within United Ireland or within the United Kingdom? Is is anything going to change? We've talked long and hard that at the moment we have one or two parties that can bring the whole thing down for us. That can't be right. So we've got to look at a much bigger picture rather than individual strands within it.
4: James, thank you. Zero thirty thirty eighty fifty five fifty five. Ben Laurie, editor of the newsletter. Kevin Marr, commentator. Mick Fieldy, editor of Slugger O'Toole, with us this morning. Good morning, Kevin, Ben, Mick. Morning, morning, morning. Morning, morning, Jen. Morning. Laurie, well, right, let 's start with you and, and, and your analysis of what Donaldson has has, has done here he ain 't talking about the Windsor framework he isn 't talking about the deal he 's not talking about the situation where immunity with uh, for um, for legacy issues a court has ruled well actually we 're bound yeah. uh, to, to to that European regulation he 's talking about a battle for the union. Being dependent on his party being able to reach out, essentially, to those alliance voters.
5: Yes, I think what's happened in the last few
4: weeks, which has surprised me, I
5: must say. I always thought there was a possibility this would happen, um, but what's happened is that Jeffrey Donaldson has the reaction, has had the reaction to the dream that uh, the the deal that is beyond beyond his wildest dreams. I mean, the pushback has been minimal. Now, it's very serious when you're party chairman. It's very serious when a very long-established figure like uh, Lord Dodds and uh, one of your uh, most high-profile MPs, Sammy Wilson, when they are explicitly criticizing the deal. But even then, even when they are criticizing the deal, um, you have stuff like uh, Sammy Wilson saying, um, this Brexit portraying government, putting all the emphasis on the government. Now, that's implicitly a criticism of the DEP leadership for backing the deal. But the rupture that I thought would happen um, if there was a return to Stormont hasn't happened yet. So, what I think this has done is it, has embo- uh, it could yet happen, by the way. I mean, I, this could be a very slow burning thing, as has happened with the um, relevance of the um, protocol winter framework in the legacy. Um, uh, uh, a court case, as, as you cited there, more and more of that's going to happen. This nonsense that there's not an Irish sea border, I mean, it's just nonsense. And that's going to become more and more apparent. So we don't know where that will go. But what, in the meantime, things haven't gone so well, there haven't been barely any opposition within the Orange Order, the, the LCC staying silent, and so on. Um, I think it's emboldened Jeffrey Donaldson to go down this route. But I think an interesting thing is also happening there, which is that the Ulster Unionist Party, which very clearly staked out this ground, Um, is I wouldn't quite say rebuffing overtures, but my understanding, because I have been asking round about this, I'm just wondering if there's suddenly going to be some announcement of a realignment in three weeks that that I don't know about. This kind of thing has happened in the past where they keep things very, very close. But I'm told that is not imminent. So, at the moment, the situation is that Jeffrey Donaldson is boldly staking out the centre ground, and Doug Beattie is saying, Well, we were here already. And also, the Ulster Unionist Party, that bitterness hasn't gone away from 25, 26 years ago, where they feel that they were essentially destroyed by the DUP, and specifically there is a resentment of Arlene Foster and well, Jeffrey Donaldson well, because they st- not only stayed in the Ulster Unionist Party and undermined David Trimble, they did so for years. So there's a lot Mick, to be said about where this is going, but at the moment Jeffrey Donaldson is confident in sticking out this ground.
4: Mick Feltie, will there now be um, more overt strategy if the battle for the Union and therefore the battle for a united Ireland, um, mm-hmm. I- I- if they're saying... Outwardly now, if, if, if you've got Donaldson really positioning the DUP as that is its strategy now, to target it, that's its priority, mm. then will will we see more overt and will it be aggressive politics against the Alliance Party to try to grab those voters? Will it be masked in a friendliness or what will it be <laughs> to try to entice those? See, I think that's where the story is here this morning.
12: It's where possibly, yeah. What possibly. will they do? Well I don't think it's going to be aggressive because you don't win voters forget about the party if you're after the party's voters then being aggressive against the party they're currently voting for doesn't necessarily work for you you know that's a that so you know there there will be if they're going to squeeze the middle ground then they have to start with a hug <laughs> because you don't get to a squeeze unless you start with a hug um, so I don't think it's going to be aggressive. I think it's really going to be the opposite.
4: And will that Hulk, also, will, will the reaction to that hope be Naomi pushing them away? You, you know, what, how will Naomi strategize well, that's this night? Too
12: far down. I mean, look, we're talking of metaphors here. We don't know the material aspect of it, but from a stra- strategic point of view, I don't think this is simply them going after an alliance vote. What I think this is more to do with is abandoning defensiveness as a prime strategy because the problem with defensive being defensive over everything, over the union, over the trade border, over, over Brexit, over all of that stuff is your ground gets smaller and smaller and smaller and that's what's happened to political unionism over the last 20 years. Uh, and defensive strategies are predictable. You, you press this button and the unionists get very defensive. I think he's moving away from that and he's moving into more open ground um, uh, where, you know, things around policy may, may be uh, the, the, the space where he kind of tries to move it into. So I'm not sure he's got um, the Alliance Party in his sights as such, but, but he needs to, not that he needs to look more like the Alliance Party, but certainly he needs to attract those people who over the last 25 years have abandoned Overt political unionism, and give them something that they want, and they know they don't want they don't want the serial defensiveness that the, that oh, the how, how
4: have. Did, sorry sorry. How does he not have the Alliance Party in his sights if he's saying that they hold the balance of power and that unionism's got to win those people over? You know that that's not going to happen by those people staying with the Alliance Party.
12: Yeah, yeah. But, but I'm not saying he doesn't want to move into that space. But it's not—it's not simply a case of taking on the, the Alliance Party as such. Um, look, and, and he's not the first person within the DUP to outline the, the situation as he outlined it yesterday. Gregory Campbell, uh, months, maybe even a couple of years ago, pointed out that Northern Ireland is a place of, of three minorities. You know, nobody has the the, the 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 playing card. That's obvious in all the surveys that we've seen coming out including the most recent one in Aarons. Nobody has a Trump card. Sinn Féin doesn't have it and the DUP doesn't have it. What the DUP is tumbling to, and I suspect Sinn Féin may have to follow them, is that this polarising politics may maximise the vote you get for your party, but it's, it's it's not getting you across to that sort of 50% where either you could secure the union or secure a united Ireland. And I think there's going to have to be a realisation going forward that people need more than just slogans uh, to to be able to get them to change their mind on the fundamentals.
4: Kevin, I'll bring you in in one moment after Sammy and Palamida. Morning, Sammy.
12: Stephen,
15: how about you? Go ahead. I would love to know what planet Jeffrey's on. He's done nothing for the last what two years. Thumbed his nose at every matter, every bit of middle ground, and he wants to win now. He's done nothing but ignore him, and and actively ignore them and show them that he didn't care what they said or what they thought. and now whenever he's back in he needs them you know what it is the dodos have done a wee headcount sorry I'm out of breath I'm out for a walk it's alright <laughs> the dodos they've done a, a headcount to themselves right in here they go we're here. we need to get a bit more in and now they're looking out trying to get everybody back you No, know, sir so a couple of months ago they were telling us they didn't care what we thought they were appealing to the most the most extreme of their own party and now they're coming back asking for the middle ground not a chance. They're up on the stage with the likes of Jimmy Bryson, extremists the likes of Jimmy Bryson. Your other boy, one bag, whatever you call him.
4: Jim and, Allister, them. I, I presume and now, you're now talking he comes about. Back,
15: yeah, that's the one. That's the that, and now you're coming back for the middle ground. They're having a laugh. Having a
4: laugh. Well, well, why wouldn't you wait until you hear about their policy positions before you decide whether they're attractive to you? It, it,
15: it, great mystery. The DUP is no great mystery to me. They're not going to all of a sudden bring out something that's going to go, gosh me, the DUP God, I'd never thought would it. Not in a million years. We know who they are. We're talking about why we haven't moved on. We haven't moved on because the same people, But 20 odd years ago, some of them are still in the same positions. The ones that had those arguments that were than to all those years ago, they're still here now having those arguments or leading others to have those arguments and you're asking why we haven't moved on. And God on ones like that that's why we haven't moved on.
4: So who do you vote for?
15: I, I almost by default I will vote for Alliance by default, but I, you know it's not like a perfect alliance and everything. But it, it seems like something I, I, that's that most of the time. But gosh, if there was someone from somewhere else who really spoke to me, really appealed to me, could tell me something they haven't heard before, or give me something that they haven't heard before, and, and give me something to hold on to they haven't had before, I'd certainly vote for them no matter who they were. But I don't see that coming anytime soon. I haven't seen it in a long time.
4: And the the, you, the the constitutional question is not as important to you as the policies for that will affect your life. Is that I, right?
15: I, I, absolutely. I, I would, uh, we couldn't vote on something like that based on emotion and and and, and you know a, a dream. It needs to be based on what we're mm-hmm. given. We can't walk into something blind again and and, and try and Isn't... work out the facts afterwards. Look,
4: look, <laughs> just before you go, can I give you one bit of advice? Walking while out of breath, listening to The Nolan Show, which puts your heart rate up anyway, is not a good formula.
15: (laughs) I know I, I do what it is I catch myself on and go what am I listening to this I'd buy my for <laughs> and I give be listening to the birds and I would take it out but this morning sometimes whenever you've listened you just get involved and you see but anyway do you know
4: the amount of people that say to me day in day, in, day out for the last 20 years I listen to that programme and it makes me angry and then they tell me what's been on it every day for, for oh, months no. or years yeah. thank you very car much car crash radio but what can you do but oh, anyway yes, good luck here thanks very much car crash radio uh, Kevin Moore, what do you think?
0: Uh, well, I, I mean, I think these remarks—I um, sh- I think they probably show one of two things: either this is a stronger, slightly more reflective uh, Jeffrey Donaldson, or perhaps this is a valedictory um, Jeffrey Donaldson. I mean, I, I'm just—I was just i just reading the speech um, that Peter Robinson gave to the DUP conference back in 2011 which which said all the same things that, that Donaldson said in the last 36 hours. You know, in, in 2011 uh, Peter Robinson said if we want a better society it can't be them and us, it can only be all of us. The trouble for the DUP is is they get the analysis that look that there's the tectonic plates in Northern Ireland's society and therefore in its, in, its, in its electorate have changed. It's a lot more competitive, they have to fight to make their case for the maintenance of the union just as united ireland has got to do the same on the other side of the equation and the people in the middle people who vote green people who vote alliance people who vote people before profit and some of the other smaller parties need to be convinced they need to be engaged with and they need to be won over ultimately and the dup has just been singularly unsuccessful at being able to do that in the past and it's not clear that they're going to be able to do that in the future as well we're 13 years on People should go and read Peter Robinson's speech. He nailed this in 2011, um, and, and nothing was done in that entire period ever
4: so, since. So, could they do that? Could with the the present leadership, in terms of they they are by their very definition. By the way, no 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 more than I am. Right, I'm I'm I've been around a long time. So has Sir Geoffrey. So could he do that, given the baggage of? He's been around a long time, Ben Laurie. Would it need a fresh face to appeal to that middle ground or is it not about the leadership? Is it about policy?
5: Well, I think leadership is very important and I think one of the things that's... A real problem for all of the Northern Ireland parties. I mean, look at the United States. It's hard to get a good president in a country, a wealthy country of 300 million. There ought to be a million good candidates for president. If the top 0.3%, one in every 300 people, that still should be a million good candidates. And they have two, both of whom are very, very um, significant flaws. So for five parties in a society of 2 million people to get good leaders is very, very difficult. And I do wonder. I mean, I, I, mean I, do, I don't think Sir Jeffrey Donaldson wanted to be the leader. He was very well established as a as an MP and as a diplomat, and so on. So, I mean, I, I do wonder in the future whether somebody like Gavin Robinson would would take forward that um, modernising role. But I think it, I think it's fair to say to, to adopt some of the points that the caller was making. I, I would adopt them from a unionist perspective. He was adopting them from a centre ground perspective. I mean, I think there's a, a risk for Sir Geoffrey Donaldson to be at anti-protocol rallies and, um, uh, you know, with loyalists and, and very, very um, um, unionist imagery, loyalist imagery, um, Orange Order bands. Uh, I, I was at one in Bangor, for example, and, and it, w- it was at the end of a, um, a loyalist band and the officer unionists wouldn't go to the mouth by that stage. Um, this was, I think this was May 2022. And to go from that and all this rhetoric to suddenly changing um, your message. Now, I I was saying that he is emboldened by the lack of backlash, but I do think that there's a danger that that will just alienate unionists. And and, and, and for all this talk about moving beyond orange and green, I think it's fair to say something in in defence of the 82%, or as it was in the last assembly election, of people in Northern Ireland who vote on the constitutional issue. The constitutional issue is a very serious matter. It's up in the air and all sorts of people of goodwill, including presumably 80% of people listening to this, vote for parties on that basis. Okay. Um,
4: Ben, thank you. Uh, Anna in Bellamina. Morning, Anna. Good morning. Good morning. Go ahead. Thanks for calling.
8: I would like to say you're talking about the Alliance Party. I I am really disgusted with the Alliance Party because when they were at the last election, they were supposed to be a neutral party. I gave them a vote, and I'm so mad at myself. And a lot of other unionists said the same. But now we know, Alliance is not a neutral party; they're another nationalist party.
4: Well, how do you know that? You've just heard one of the representatives, Kate Nicholl, saying that the, that they would—they're they're a broad church. So where are you getting this from?
8: No, no, no. They're not. That—that—that's—that's. That's the stuff they went over, the time they were wanting, they were wanting votes, and a lot of unionist people says, "Well, that's a neutral party will give them a vote." Me being one of them, but now I, I'll tell you, if the next election, Alliance won't get them, the unionist vote the way they did before.
4: Anna, thank you, Mary in North Belfast. Morning, Mary.
8: Good morning, Stephen. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. Um, yeah, well, I just wanted to. It looks seems to me that Jeffrey has literally finally understood the demographic changes, the societal changes. He's never going to use the language, but to me, this is him absolutely having joined the United Ireland discussion. This is, he He is now trying to set out and garner and understandably so, and I commend him at least in making um, improvements that will impact ordinary people's lives.
4: But, which, and, uh, but, but who is this Geoffrey Johnson that we heard um, yesterday on, on TalkBack? Is that the same? And stay there, Mary. But Mick Fieldy, is that the same Sir Geoffrey Donaldson that that, that was standing on bandstands alongside Jimmy Bryson was that the same Sir Geoffrey Donaldson that was talking so aggressively about how an Irish sea border was not acceptable um, or has Sir Geoffrey Donaldson completely changed or is it just a different message for a couple of weeks who is it and what is it
12: I don't think this is for a couple of weeks Stephen Lyndon B. Johnson once said that if you can't count, you shouldn't be in politics. In other words, it's all about the numbers. Geoffrey Donaldson uh, had to play a stalling game for a long time, one, to get an, uh, enough of the concessions that he could sell as concessions, as his concessions from those negotiations from the, uh, from the British government. But he also needed to get a, a weighted majority within his own party. And at that point, he has has moved... Uh, decisively and clearly in a, direct, a direction that significant senior members of his party are uncomfortable with, but that's, that's often good for a political leader. He, no, it, you can't move until you got, um, you, you've got that kind of, got you've got your numbers kind of set, and, set up.
4: And also, if you look, and you've just, you know, I think you referred to him a few minutes ago, Mike. If mm-hmm. you look at the 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 Nigel Dodds of this world, the Sammy Wilsons of this world, uh, yeah. L- Lord Morrow, who who have been speaking out. Very aggressively against the deal that Donaldson did, but yeah. but what they're not doing is speaking out very aggressively about Sir Jeffrey Donaldson. They're they they they're, they're putting a they 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 they're they're, they're constantly criticising the British government when actually it's their leader who did the deal, but they're not going for him. They have enough respect for him and want them to stay in that position, presumably, that they ain't going for him. And that's uh, significant uh, too. That's helping Sir Geoffrey, isn't it?
12: I wouldn't read too much into that, Stephen. I I think this is a party that's been through many crises in the past. And the one thing they've all learned is if you split... Um, you, fall, you fall apart. There is nowhere for those people to go to. They have to stick with the direction that Donaldson has taken them in. Uh, and look, the, the truth is, the best game, and this has been true since the Good Friday Agreement, the best game that unionists can play is to make Northern Ireland more governable, less brittle, and more prosperous. And to do that, you can't keep playing to the old orchestra. They need to bring in new voices, new new, new ideas, They need to challenge some of the shibboleths of of unionism. And that doesn't mean to abandon the whole sort of uh, British identity, whether that's for some people that's to do with the Orange Order. For many others who don't even want to go near the Orange Order, it's something else. But but to be able to represent uh, the the significant interests of the union in Northern Ireland... They've got to make it more democratic, more open, uh, and I think that's the direction may, he's heading. Maybe
4: back to you in a second, Kevin. Moore, if you if you look at the 2022 Stormont elections, Alliance gained nine seats. They gained two from the DUP, four from the SDLP, two from the Greens, one from the UUP. Kevin.
0: Yeah, they've got they've got broadly broad support. I mean, and and there's obviously a significant chunk of the Northern yeah. Irish electorate that is constitutionally agnostic, but but. I think also persuadable. I think rational people, the gentleman that you had on about 20 minutes ago was, was, was fair enough. He was making the point that, look, you know, I, I need to know what I would potentially be voting on in, in a border poll. And that's, that's contingent on United Islanders to set out why arrangements in the United Ireland would be better than they are in the UK, and that, that that debate's got to be had, and we're not there yet. It's not it's not progressed enough yet, um, but but it will. And I suspect a lot of those voters will approach these issues entirely pragmatically,
9: um, and I think that's
0: that's part of the problem for for the DUP. That you know, it's it's torn between its hardcore, and it's torn between the the, the kind of pragmatic people but it's perhaps lost generation, perhaps their grandparents were in the Orange Order, but they're definitely not. And the problem for Jeffrey Donaldson. Is that he can make these kinds of appeals, but the difficulty he's got he's got he will drill a hole in his own electoral bucket if he does that. If he moves too far, hold on, hold on, hold on, he can obviously on. embolden uh, the PUV <laughs> on, on his fringe as well. So he's in a difficult he's in a difficult position strategically. Mary, but he recognises he just doesn't have the numbers.
4: Mary, does your dog listen every day to the biggest show I in the country politics. as well? <laughs> <laughs>
1: she does have a recalling. I'm just getting rid of the noise. Um, right. Yes. I go, uh,
4: so, what uh, were where you as a uh, as a uh, as a as a citizen, as a as as a voter, Mary? What do you want to see from these politicians as we go forward?
8: Well, I'm I am intrigued as an observer at uh, at that sort of chameleon like the change, and I'm very appreciative of it. But I mean, wh- what do you believe? I it? I,
4: Is it if, if it's yes, changed I, I so quickly, he believe, could it change? If he's yeah, changed think, so I mean, quickly, could he then, change back so quickly?
8: Oh, I, I mean that. That he's leading a movement, um, I think, is the more significant thing. That he's recognising the demographic and every other change. The thing that concerns me um, most is that while all of this posturing and for two years and all of that was happening, ordinary people were attending uh, food banks and desperately hand- yeah. ringing the house to pay bills and turning off heating and children not getting meals in schools. And all of the things that we know have happened. That's where realised real ordinary um life exists and politics should be emanating from. But we've had a whole different um, emphasis and it's been laid by this constitutional, and the constitutional issue is very important to myself and everybody everybody else. But I think these, this, this change, this nuance is very welcome. But that, my fundamental underlying point would be that Jeffrey he's never going to use the language, but he has now joined the realistic take on the future demographically and joined the United has Irish... Um,
4: has he- has, has, has he ripped off Doug Beattie's clothes and put them on his own back, McFieldy? Oh,
12: to some extent, yeah. I mean, because this 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 position's been open uh, since the signing of the Good Friday Agreement. And to be perfectly honest, the Ulster Unionist Party have tried. You know, the uh, the Union of People, uh, they've tried certain ways of doing it. But going back to reality. You have to have the political capital to be able to move into that space, and the Ulster Unionists have really, since the 2005 general election, have been retreating like a kind of a you know a melting a melting um, glacier. It's just been kind of going further and further back up the mountain, whereas the DUP still has enough of a presence in that space. To, to create a, a, a kind of... This OK, broader
4: let, me, let me squeeze in Fred and Lisburn. Morning, Fred. Thank you, Mick. Thank you, Kevin. All Good the best. Morning. Thank you, Mary. Go ahead, Fred. Good morning, Stephen. I'm just going to make a
2: few quick, very quick points here. Well, leave me, one, wait, wait, a minute and a half. Well, number one, the alliance have come on leaps and bounds. I don't believe Jeffrey Donaldson is more worried about his party. I believe he's now running scared for the next general election... I'm wondering, is he still going to be the Lagan Valley MP? Because if you look at the stats, back in the early 2000s, he had over a 20,000 majority. Source East, the Alliance, has now cut that to 6,500. If you look at the last election in 2019, the DUPs vote fell by 16.9% in Lagan Valley. The Alliance went up 17.1%. I was speaking to a young lady in Lisburn, and if you carried out a poll, she's maybe actually correct, in what she's saying, Young people don't know who your DUP are. Well, she actually described it to me as a dinosaur unionist party well, instead of a democratic unionist party. Well, she party. might have I'm done
4: bad. that, she might have done, but that was one person you met um, in the street. But Fred, thank you very much. Thank you. It's a really interesting political discussion about what's going on and how much real movement there's actually going to be. Nice to have you with us every day of the week. We're seeing um, a growing audience on BBC Sounds now as more of you listen to the programme um, in your different ways at the different times and I think it's really important that I hammer home that message that I want the Nolan Show to be um, a product that yes, 9 o'clock in the morning we're breaking news stories, we're setting news agendas or well you are quite frankly when you bring us those stories but also the rest of the day it might be a time when you want to consume the Nolan Show and you can do that of course on BBC Sounds. So download the show um, on your app and of course we've got Nolan Live, it's on Wednesday nights now um, on BBC One at 10.40 and you can get that from the BBC iPlayer and then if if that's not enough, Monday to Friday, we've got the Nolan Show across the UK, Friday, Saturday Sunday nights here on the BBC on 5 Live and I'll see you tonight at 10 o'clock. Now, next, Newry, Mourne, and Down Council have been criticised for a decision to book a man to give the keynote speech on International Women's Day. Billy Dixon, who's described as a personal brand consultant and motivational speaker from County Down, will speak at the event taking place in Newry next Friday, 8th of March. Should, should the keynote speaker? At an event marking International Women's Day, be a woman. Emer McGovern is a journalist at the Belfast Telegraph. Good morning, Emer. Good morning. What do you think?
3: Well, International Women's Day is very well known at this stage. So I'd say, yes, of course, it should be a woman. Surely it should be recognised at this stage that on that day of all days, March 8th, for those who don't know, that we should promote women. we should be putting women forward, we should be uplifting women and on that day of all days it should be a woman who's the keynote speaker. Give them the opportunity and let them be front and centre.
4: So have men any place in Women's Day?
3: I think men absolutely do have a place. And I think if we're going to promote women and push women forward and and make sure that there's more equality between the sexes, men have to be part of that conversation. But I think maybe men can be the keynote speaker on plenty of occasions, but especially on International Men's Day, which is in November. The March 8th is the one where it should be a woman, I firmly believe.
4: But if you had, is is it... Look, Naomi Naomi Long, leader of the Alliance Party, described uh, in a tweet, I think she tweeted, mortified um, when when this was being talked about. But is is the binary proposal of you've got to have a woman being the keynote speaker, does that not diminish the whole purpose of Women's Day? What if there was a man, powerful man, Talking about how important it is to to rid the country of any discrimination, doing that alongside a woman or instead of a woman or with a woman or it was a woman. In other words, Eimear, the most powerful person on that day that they can get, that is chosen on, on influence and power and ability rather than sex.
3: Well, I think we should be taking the opportunity to let women have that power and influence and authority, as you say, You know, it's definitely the case that men can definitely make an argument and they can give a good contribution on pushing women for it. But I think women are equally as able to make that argument themselves. And so we're equally as able to find one of many amazing women in this part of the world who are able to make that argument themselves. You know, you're mentioning Naomi Long. I saw an amazing tweet from Sinead McLaughlin. who's saying how it's so 1990s, a brand consultant telling us how to be lovely girls. I don't know Billy Dixon personally and I'm sure he would have an amazing contribution to make, but I think a woman could make equally as amazing a contribution. And more than anything, I really just think it's a strange decision more than anything else by the council. Why wasn't opportunity used to uplift a woman? And I suppose when you think about it as well, surely um, there were women making this decision as well. And I think a lot of the time, we're the ones holding ourselves back sometimes. Maybe a woman made the decision that Billy Dixon should be the one to be front and centre these days. So maybe we just need to look inside ourselves and say, well, why can't you think of a woman and put a woman on a
4: pedestal that day? So if Newry, Morn and Down had have chosen a woman to be a, the, the keynote speaker, if that woman, Emer, and look, this, we're hypothesising here, but we're doing it to try to test a point. If that woman had have been a weaker speaker that day than Mr. Dixon... Is the symbolism of it being a woman more important?
3: I think the symbolism of it being a woman is very important. And I think when you make the argument about a woman being um, potentially a weaker speaker, if, if we're judging it that way, yes, plenty of no, men But Based on
4: availability, pay. based on availability, look, I don't know. But I'm talking about it as a point of principle. Do you book someone on International Women's Day because they're a woman for a keynote speaker? Or do you choose the strongest candidate among the pool of availability?
3: Well, I think the opportunity would be there for the woman to be the stronger candidate. I think it's more important, yes, that a woman would be front and centre, whatever the calibre of speaker. I think plenty of women would have the ability to be just as good of a speaker. Basic. And more than that, they, women would be better able to relate to them. It's all about the message that you want to send with International Women's Day. I wouldn't put myself forward to be a keynote speaker at something about which I know nothing. If if, an event, if I was asked to be a keynote speaker in an event for International Men's Day, I'd say, hang on, maybe the opportunity should be taken to put a man front and centre on that day and to speak about his experiences because I'm not as well-placed as men to talk about things that directly affect them and that matter to other men.
4: Do we even know from this council who they considered? Like, are, are you, the, the, the flip side of, of, of the questioning I've been asking, Emer is... Could Newry, Moore and Down Council really not find a woman to be the keynote speaker? Could they not find any female available? Was there any female on their shortlist? Was there a shortlist?
3: Maybe the council will come out and release their shortlist. It definitely would be something interesting to say or to see, like at the moment in Stormont, we have two women leading, as we have done before, like other women off the top of my head from that part of the world, Bethany First, the swimmer, Liz Kimmins, the businesswoman Cornie McCoy, there's an exhaustive list and I'm not even an expert in the area of brand consultancy but I'm sure maybe there is a brand consultant who'd be from that part of the world who'd be well able to speak on that, on that issue.
4: Who is Billy Dixon? Is he famous? I've never heard of him.
3: I've never heard of him, but I'm not an expert in the area of brand consultancy. But he might have something very interesting to say and he is a motivational speaker. So maybe he'd be the person to come along and tell us how women can reinvent their brand, maybe see more appealing in the workplace or how we can push ourselves forward a bit more. But I just think Women speaking to women is the most important thing on that day. Maybe Billy should have been the one to take a step back and say, hang on, a woman would be better placed than me to speak about this.
4: Tell you what, the the focus is on Mr. Dixon. He better be at the top of his game next week. March the eighth.
3: <laughs> That's the business And maybe he'll have a really important message to share. So I I'm certain, you know, Muri Moore and Down, maybe this is, you know, a tactic on their part that they've been able to promote their event that maybe they might not have gotten the coverage for at the same time. So I'll certainly be interested to see what Billy Dixon says and maybe he'll be able to respond and say that he's best placed to give women uh, the message that they need in International he, Women's Day. So best of
4: luck to him. Can I also just ask, maybe you can help me with this, emer, if, if you know. So this is Uri morn and Down Council um, have booked Mr. Dixon as the keynote speaker for International Women's Day, right? So I, I get that. But I'm noticing that the tickets for the event are £36 per person. So, where's that money going? Who set that price up? That's, that's a big ticket price, is it not?
3: Yeah, no, it is really expensive, and again, that speaks to something else on in International Women's Day. The women, you know, have always earned less than men in the workplace. You know that maybe there are some women who are more marginalised who might not be, who might benefit from Billy Dixon's advice, but wouldn't be able to afford to go to that event. So maybe there's a bigger question as well. Maybe ne- near More Town Council will be able to say to sell tickets available for people who can't afford that to go to it. But certainly a big price for that event. You're right.
4: Yeah, thirty six quid a pop. My goodness!
3: Yeah, you'd be expecting a lot for that.
4: (laughs) You get to see—I don't know—you get you get to see Dolly Parton for that. you ought to say, much is a ticket these days. Much is a ticket. My my team behind the scenes are telling me eighty quid, eighty quid for a ticket. That would be a cheap ticket. Shows you how long it's been since I go out.
3: Dolly Parton has to say.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Now, Dolly (laughs) Parton is a keynote speaker. Um, All right, Eber, thanks a lot. All the very best. Thank you. Uh, I, I, and good morning to you. Really? Tickets to, to gigs now? Are, I just don't go out. I sit in the house and eat and sleep and go out to restaurants for meals. Muriel, you're snowed in, are you?
16: Yes, David, we're snowed in here.
4: Are you really now? Because there's a member of my team. He's called Brendan. Will not, we'll not yeah. just expose him. And he's he's snowed in in the summer. That man that man has <laughs> snowed in in July, I can predict it now. <laughs> Are you really here snowed in?
16: We're snowed in in Fermanagh here, Stephen. Um, up here at Daryl Inn, at the moment, there could be a good seven, eight inches of snow. And there's um, about 2,000 houses off. Um, we have no electric since a minute past six this morning because my son was just, he had just pressed the button to um, milk. And off went the electric. So there's no cows milk. there's no traffic, there's nothing moving. I don't, there's no school buses, just everything. And I just wonder, Stephen, it has never been mentioned uh, either on the weather forecast saying that, you know, there's a lot of snow in Fermanagh. Yes. Um, and well, I just wondered.
4: No, I hear, I hear you. I hear you. You've been without electric since when?
16: One minute past six this morning.
4: Oh, for goodness sake!
16: And seemingly there's trees down and uh, uh, roads are blocked. The trees. At least that's what the wee lassie said when I rang Power and I, and she says, um, "No, there's there's a lot of trees down with the weight of snow on them, and the men just can't get them electric back on again."
4: Goodness. And I you, you went out to milk the cows this morning?
16: No, I didn't go. <laughs> I didn't go. out. Stephen, my son Russell, went out to milk. Right. And he was just about to start to make, he had the cows and make them parlour and electric what, went off.
4: So, why don't you milk the cows?
16: Uh, I'm too, I, I did my time at that did stage. Did Is
4: it hard? Yes. Is it hard? There's a, I'll tell you a wee story, Muriel, you know, right? True story. Yes. True, true story. So, there was a time the BBC sent me down to a farm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And mm-hmm. I booked all round me. For like for for hours, the smell, I could taste the smell <laughs> in the cow shed, right? No, I'm telling you, I could taste it. And I booked all round me. And the BBC, I remember the senior executive, no longer no longer here in BBC Northern Ireland, the senior executive Ryan, with me, arguing with me, that we couldn't possibly put out footage of me booking in a cow shed. And, no. I was, and I was arguing back that it was actually of such significant public interest just to, to show, like, there are some people cut out for it and there are some people not. Now that, thing, now, that thing has done massive business on YouTube. It's just every time I look at it, there's more and more and more people watching it. You should, you should, uh, I'll put I it out my Twitter be- feed. I'll put it out my Twitter feed, right? You can all watch my reaction. Be- it's a, right. you, you've got to have a certain constitution is what I'm saying, Muriel. Yeah. To put your, yeah. you know, to clean out a car shed. Like, the BBC got me to put my hand into the car.
16: <laughs> That's what my son used to do. He well, was, like it's uh, not normal. He was an AI man for 15 years.
4: It's not normal.
16: <laughs> Ox, don't be
4: a wimp. I'm telling you. And then milking cows first thing in the morning. That's all yeah. machinery. No, that's not by hand. That's all machinery, oh, right? Oh,
16: no, no. It's, it's all machinery, yeah.
4: yeah.
16: Yeah. Some of it's done by robots. We don't have robots, but uh, some of it is done by robots. But he, he is the milk and parlor and he's quite happy with it, milking his jerseys.
4: Well, listen, lovely to talk to you.
16: Lovely to talk to you too, Stephen. No and problem. thank you very much.
4: All the very best. Take morning, care. Morning to you. Bye. Bye. I don't know how farmers do it. I can barely get up and wash my face in the morning, never mind wash your cow. Zero um, thirty thirty eighty fifty five fifty five. Recently, a thirty-one-year-old woman from Belfast has become the three thousandth person to undergo a successful life-saving kidney transplant in Northern Ireland. Shannon Stewart received a live kidney donation from her mum, Joanne, on the third of January at Belfast City Hospital. It's being hailed as a landmark moment for organ donation, but the amount of people on life-saving dialysis could quadruple in the next decade. A warning from a report published by the Kidney Research UK organisation, dialysis is needed when the kidneys fail and organs can't remove toxins in the blood, with around 30,000 people in the UK currently needing it. Alison Reelton is the head of policy at Kidney Research UK and began by asking, what's behind this projected surge in cases?
1: There are a number of factors associated with the um, predicted increase, uh, one of which is an ageing population, um, but also increased numbers of people living with diseases like diabetes, heart disease and high blood pressure.
4: So what does it do to the kidney, the likes of diabetes, for example,
1: So in in kidney disease, it's the filters within the kidney that become damaged over time and therefore can't carry out their really important function of filtering the blood and removing the toxins. And so people with diabetes and high blood pressure um, and cardiovascular disease, um, those diseases cause that damage to the
4: kidneys. And do do people realise the danger, the extent of it?
1: No, not as much as we'd like them to. So we'd like people with diabetes to be tested annually for kidney disease and for their healthcare team to talk to them about the risk they face with their kidneys. Um, but that doesn't always happen. So that's what we're calling for is, is those conversations to take place much more frequently within primary care.
4: I was reading, Alison, that, that one of the dangers of all of this is that it can often be a, a silent problem, that it can be deteriorating your body, and you don't realise it until it's too late?
1: Yes, that's absolutely right. So there are very few, if any, symptoms of kidney disease until it is very um, well-established and and severe. So, you know, people don't realise that their kidney function is dropping unless they have a test to check how their kidneys are functioning, which is why we're calling for people at risk of kidney disease to be tested so that you know, we can determine how their kidneys are and whether they do need intervention.
4: And what, what does that intervention entail, if it is spotted?
1: So there are a number of things that, that we can do. So there are some drugs on the market, some relatively new drugs that um, help to protect the kidneys and delay that progression to renal failure, where you need dialysis or a transplant. And there are also sort of lifestyle choices that people can make. So making sure you don't have a high salt content in your diet, um, being careful which painkillers you take. So some painkillers can damage the kidneys more than others and keeping a healthy weight. Those can all help protect your kidneys and keep you healthy.
4: And once, you're, once you've once you gone past the point uh, of renal failure, there's no going back, is there?
1: No, unfortunately not. So once you, once your kidneys stop functioning, um, you then have to go on to dialysis and you have to be on that for life unless you have a transplant, which is the preferred option because people are healthier and have better outcomes once they've had a transplant than they are on dialysis.
4: I guess what you're fighting against here is people thinking it'll never happen to them. So could they be walking around, moving around, working, uh, oblivious to this?
1: Yes, absolutely, which is why we think there needs to be more awareness around um, the condition. You know, people don't tend to know where their kidneys are and what they do. So there's real low awareness about the importance of kidneys and the importance of keeping them healthy.
4: Right. So someone listening to this um, and they're worried they've got a bad diet, they're significantly overweight, they've got diabetes, what do they do next?
1: We would suggest they, they talk to their healthcare team. They, they check to see if they have had their kidney function tested in the last year. So that's a simple urine test, a, a blood test that can happen in primary care. So they talk to their team about, you know, whether they have been checked um, and to see what, how their kidneys are functioning and if there is anything else they need to do.
4: Is there a particular age group that is more vulnerable?
1: Kidney disease can affect anybody at any time. So some babies are born with kidney disease um, through genetic conditions, but people tend to develop it at an older um, age. So if you've lived with diabetes for a while, that, that can obviously be a risk factor, but it can affect anybody at any age.
4: Why is it quadrupling?
1: That's, because um, of increasing rates of diabetes and high blood pressure amongst the population and obesity, um, but also people living currently living with kidney disease, it's the rate that they'll progress through the different stages of kidney disease and end up in stages four and five, which is where you need dialysis and a transplant. So it's, it's a range of factors. But yes, it's, it's really alarming numbers, um, isn't it, that um, are predicted. So we do need to take action now to try and prevent that happening.
4: If your kidney has deteriorated but not past the the point of no return, can it heal itself if you catch it early enough?
1: No, you can't heal the kidney yet. And, you know, we're funding research in many areas um, to try and um, make that happen um, for a cure. But you can protect the kidney to try and stop it deteriorating any further. And we'd like to keep people as healthy as possible for as long as possible. So keep them upstream from dialysis and transplant. Um, So, yes, we're really keen to to protect those kidneys for as long as possible.
4: Thank you very much indeed for talking to us today, Alison. Thank you. Thank you. My goodness. That's interesting and scary at the same time, if you're my wit. Um, Interesting, interesting. Okay, we're four minutes left of the programme. I see, by the way, a colleague in the newsroom, Darren Marshall, uh, from the Politics Department, tweeting that this morning um, that Northern Ireland's largest provider of natural gas, that's SSE, electricity, to cut its prices by 22.8% um, from April. Jared in Kilkeel. Morning, Jared. Morning, Stephen. Good morning.
0: Yes, I'm I'm just ringing up. Uh, the question you sort of posed at the start, or at least the start of your your show this morning, was about how, how the DUP would go about... Uh, gain in the middle ground, I suppose.
15: Mm-hmm.
12: And,
0: or Sinn Féin. And Sinn Féin.
12: Well, neither
0: will, uh, that's quite honest. I mean, I, I can't I can't define myself as a nationalist because I don't want a United Ireland. I can't define myself as a unionist because I don't particularly like British Ireland either. So I'm happy with what we have. And that's why I vote, I vote Alliance and have done for a number of years. I'm quite happy to vote with them. And I mean, I also find that it, it seems to rattle... Jim Alistair quite a bit, Alliance, so they must be doing something right, in my opinion.
4: Gerard, thank must- you, and Sean, and of Morning, Sean.
13: Stephen, how are you? All you right. That was a great interview you had with Kate Mickle. Right. You got no answers. No, sorry, wrong. You got one answer. When you asked the question about casements, she said, we want to see casement built. But she didn't answer you about funding for the NHS. They were working on it, et cetera, et cetera. To be quite honest with you, I see alliance breaking up in the future. And to base that in the fact that at one time... You
4: see them breaking
13: up? Yes. At one time, who would have thought that the Unionist Party would have broken up when they ruled supreme, the official Unionist? And then along came a big man called Ian Paisley. And the alliance is actually split, let's face it, They're not exposing their spit, but they are. They have launched an assault on the DUP, some would say very successfully. There's going to be a time when they will turn their sights on Sinn Féin. Well, sorry...
4: (laughs) Different political parties will, will, will want to reach out to voters of alternative political parties and try to win them over. That's hardly well, an let assault.
13: Let him, Stephen, you know, we all know that. We all know that we're not stupid. But the reality is within Alliance, there is a fracture. Yes. Make no mistake about it, there is. And as that fracture widens, they're going to spit it's as simple as that. Now, the timing, I don't know. It could be ten years away, five years away. But it's not a lasting party. Because, as Tim Allister once said, Stormont doesn't work. Okay. It won't work and it can't work.
4: All right. Well, because
13: it's two opposing factions. Oh, no,
4: okay, Sean, thank you very much indeed for your view this morning. That brings us to the end of the programme. I have a busy day today. Honestly, I'd just love to go back to bed now. a busy, busy day today. And then I've got 5 Live tonight at 10 o'clock. And then drop Audrey off with a wee friend, Aris in the centre of town tomorrow for the shopping. And then 5 Live Saturday night. Then 5 Live Sunday night. And I've got to wash my car in between. I've got a very busy life, don't I? See you tonight at 10 o'clock. Have a good day, everyone. And thanks for
2: this week. The biggest show in the country. Listen again on BBC Sounds. Tweet at Stephen Nolan.